From WOUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Caleb McCleskey. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from Southeast Ohio. This week on The Outlet, students around Athens County are getting ready to hit the books after the annual back to school bash. It is a great start to their school year. They start the year with confidence. They got on new kicks, they have a new backpack, they have books and materials in it, and it makes them ready for the year. And officials in Ohio say the need for the 988 hotline continues to grow one year after its launch. Demand for mental health services among Ohio's youth and families has never been greater. And that's what 988 is. These stories and more right here on The Outlet. The school year is just around the corner, and that brings back-to-school shopping for families around the region. The outlet's Haley Hollinger reports an annual event brings local businesses and organizations together to ease the burden on those in need. Haircuts, backpacks, new shoes, and school spirit are just some of the things kids need before going back to school. The Athens County Department of Job and Family Services Back to School Bash connects children with local organizations offering these items. Executive Director Gene Damoski says the best part about the event is watching the children get their supplies. Seeing the faces of the children when they receive their backpacks and their school logo clothes and their Nike shoes. Athens County has one of the highest rates of poverty in the state. Organizers of the event and Nelsonville, York teacher Brooke Schultz say providing new school supplies takes a financial burden off of families and creates a better environment for all students. It is a great start to their school year. They start the year with confidence. They got on new kicks, they have a new backpack, they have books and materials in it, and it makes them ready for the year. More than 1,000 people attended the event and the entire community put in an effort. Some of the contributions included WUB's Learning Lab giving out books and school supplies, the Nelsonville Fire Department, they kept kids entertained with multiple activities. And the Catherine McCoy Resource Project had personal hygiene products. 15-year-old Claire Abraham normally provides these items through distribution sites at schools. She says it was nice to see the project's impact in person. The entire experience is just eye-opening to see what everyone else is coming from. Claire says she plans to expand the project with a mobile unit. Students won't head back to class for a few more weeks, but the back-to-school bash has kids a step closer to hitting the books. Reporting for The Outlet, I'm Haley Hollinger in Nelsonville. Summer is a time for festivals around Southeast Ohio. One festival in the Hocking Hills highlights the beauty of nature and green thumbs. Outlet reporter Ario Alliance has more on the whimsical weekend event. through Lilyfest isn't like walking through an ordinary festival. In fact, it's more like walking through a fairy tale. In a typical spot at Lilyfest, you might see a vendor selling hand-painted garden gnomes or rocks to your left, and to your right you might see lush patches of flowers and a musician with a guitar on stage singing low-key covers of popular songs. Lilyfest founder Bobby Bishop, who created the event in memory of her late husband, said Lilyfest has a calming effect on attendees. I think it's a much different festival than they, they're used to going to because it's not on a uh, pavement, it's on gravel paths and through the woods and people come in, they're all stressed and they hit the ground and they kind of go whoosh, 
because it's a very calming kind of place. Adding to that fairy tale feel is a separate section of Lilyfest that is all its own, the Viking Village. The Viking Village is a large section of Lilyfest dedicated to reenactments of medieval life. Bishop says the village has been a part of Lilyfest for over 20 years and was something her husband won at the garden before he died. Viking reenactor Adam Holmes says to him, Lilyfest is like a vacation. We're just doing our thing that we like to do as reenactors. This is my third Lilyfest, and I really like going down and enjoying the music of Appalachia down there. It's a nice, chill festival. The grounds are gorgeous. The uh, gardeners do a great job of keeping everything up. Lilyfest offers a tranquil atmosphere in midsummer for people of all ages, including those working there. The volunteer force at the festival is made up almost entirely of children. I have young people that are my helpers, and I love working with them. It kind of keeps me younger. Bishop has been organizing Lilyfest for over 30 years. She says that the joy and appreciation expressed by festival guests is all she needs to motivate her. I love watching um, the people react to the artists and the music and the happiness I see on their face. and. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun, too. For The Outlet, I'm Arielle Lyons in Rockbridge. Acid mine drainage is a serious pollutant for steams near former coal mines in our region. Outlet reporter Reese Thompson talks to two local organizations working together to clean the water and create paint pigments. Storing clean water in Southeast Ohio while making paint for local artists. Ohio University has partnered up with Rural Action Social Enterprise True Pigments to bring a new purpose to cleaning polluted streams. Rural Action CEO Debbie Phillips says the project reflects what the city of Athens values. Help clean up an environmental problem create jobs in the process and be used in art. It just feels like it's firing on all cylinders. True Town, located in the Sunday Creek watershed, has the worst acid mine drainage discharge in Ohio. You've probably seen streams that are more orange than uh, green or blue. And that's because of the, um, the iron that is in suspension in the water. College of Fine Arts painting and drawing chair John Sabra hopped on board with the project when he realized he could make paint out of iron oxide. And when you pull it out, it's, it's initially very slimy because there's a lot of biomatter in it. Um, but then once you process it, then it's just like any other pigment. It's very fine. It's very powdery. From orange to violet, making the color variations happens by heating the iron at different temperatures. Sabra says the project helped him expand on his artistry. What this project allowed me to do is it allowed me to understand how my art could intersect with activism, with action with making an impact on the environment. By transforming environmental waste into artistic resources, the streams around the area are seeing the positive impact. 74 stream miles already being restored that had previously been considered dead to being streams that can support aquatic life. Reporting for the outlet, I'm Reese Thompson in Athens. The outlet's Haley Hollinger has been watching as the city of Nelsonville looks for a new city manager. What can you tell us about the search, Haley? Well, there won't be a new city manager for at least a week, but the process is winding down. They picked their top six applicants out of the original 26. 
They interviewed their top six this past Monday in executive session, and the next step is for the top three to be announced to the public. Last I heard, they were going to have a special meeting on July 28th that the public would be able to attend to see the interviewing process of these top three candidates. And at the recent Nelsonville City Council meeting on July 10th, there was news about a new city council member resigning. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so Glenda Tingle resigned on July 10th. Around 4.49 was when she sent her email to the council announcing her resignation. She resigned, as she told me, because of health issues. Her doctor and her husband recommended that she step away from council because of her health issues, being in a very stressful environment while also dealing with underlying health issues that you're dealing with before you come on to the council is not a good mix because of the stressful situation, because of accusations made about her uh, was causing her more stress. In her email, she calls it a, quote, toxic atmosphere, end quote, and goes on to talk about the behavior on city council, which is not what she expected. I also spoke to her the other day about a week after her resignation, and she told me she did not plan on resigning that early, but because of the events and because of the way it affected her health, she needed to step down. So it wasn't just on her own advice either. Like I said, it was on the advice of her doctor and her husband. With that, there will be a new council member appointed, which has to be close to the 10th resignation this year, I would say. I don't have an exact number on that, but it's got to be close to that because of the insane amount of resignations there has been just this year. So that council seat is open. There are currently six people on council. When they do appoint a new city manager, there will most likely be a council member appointed as well. So that process will most likely take place at the end of the month around July 28th, which is about where that city manager interview process should be as well. Now, there have also been some other issues in Nelsonville City Hall regarding the council's cybersecurity. What kind of information do you have about that? So, yeah, there's been some cybersecurity issues in the city. There was an email sent recently, I believe it to be a week or so ago, uh, by the administrative assistant of the city of Nelsonville. Her name is Rita Wen. She told the council in an email, she noticed some emails had been deleted off of her computer and also deleted out of the trash folder where they normally remain when you delete them. This was obviously perceived as a problem in her mind, so she wanted to alert the council as soon as she realized, especially because those emails pertain to the city's electric contract, which has not been completely figured out. They have to cancel one of the contracts, which will most likely be the free point contract, but they also need to figure out where to take those termination fees from. This email, however, was to the acting city manager about different electric provider content. So it's important to the story when you're talking about termination fees and where those fees are gonna come from, whether it be the general fund or the bond of the former city manager. So that's why these emails are important to the city, to the electric contract, and need to be found. 
But there was also a response given by the city auditor who actually was not copied in the original email, which I do find to be interesting. I'm not sure that there's really anything there, but I do find it to be interesting. The auditor then talks about the email from the day before, talks about the IT changes. They used to have an IT guy, but he since stepped down, and now the acting city manager, acting police chief, is now the IT guy, which is why there's some inconsistency there. When you have somebody that doesn't have an IT background like that, you're going to have some inconsistencies. That doesn't mean there's anything devious going on. He also recalls that there were allegedly email break-in attempts to his email and a couple other emails on city council. And he talks about that situation in his emails as well, actually calling out a couple of the council members he believes to have attempted to break into those email accounts back in, I believe, April. And the situation surrounding that, I'll just go into that briefly, was that there was some leaked information and these council members, according to Ms. Tingle, since I spoke to her just a couple days ago, they reached out to the IT guy at the time to ask if there was any way they could tell who leaked this information, essentially. So that is their side. However, they're also now being accused of attempting about four times to break into other people's email accounts, which is illegal. And the email tampering, the records tampering that Rita discussed the day before was not really mentioned then in the auditor's email. So where are we now? Multiple people have now contacted the BCI, which is the Borough of Criminal Investigation. They also contacted the county prosecutor, and they also contacted the state auditor's investigative services. According to the council members that I have spoken to, the BCI is going to be investigating and has been in contact with the city manager. I've also heard from a council member that the state auditor investigative services will be on the case as well. However, I called both the BCI and the state auditor and have not received a response back on whether or not this investigation is confirmed and happening. So we'll see uh, because, like I said, supposedly the city manager has been reached out to. But the situation will only progress and... Luckily, Mike DeWine is coming out with something for enhancing local cybersecurity. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out as well. The FCC introduced the 988 phone number for the nationwide suicide hotline during the COVID-19 pandemic. Outlet reporter Connor Woodruff has more on the hotline a year later after its launch in Ohio. Sunday marked one year since the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline launched in Ohio. The hotline offers emergency mental health services for those who are at risk for suicide. In 2020, the FCC ruled that all states established 988 as the go-to hotline for these services. According to Governor Mike DeWine, the 988 Lifeline receives over 12,000 calls, texts, and chats per month across all 88 counties in Ohio. Lori Chris, director of the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, says they expect those numbers to increase as they continue to tell people what the 988 service is for. Demand for mental health services among Ohio's youth and families has never been greater. And that's what 988 is. Someone to talk to, 
around the clock and confidentially. With growing demand also comes a need to expand services. The Lifeline has implemented text and call support in Spanish. Along with Spanish services, the 988 line is testing the waters for at-risk LGBTQ youth. Another new service, according to Chris, is the development of crisis stabilization centers, which those who are at risk can visit until they are safe. And we're also building crisis stabilization centers where a person can go for a brief period of time to safely stabilize before returning home. The Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services have found that up to 80% of those who call in crisis can be properly supported through 988. The organization also shared that suicide rates are on the rise. The recently signed two-year state budget provided full funding for the 988 lifeline, meaning those in Ohio can likely look forward to more services coming from the group. For The Outlet, I'm Connor Woodruff in Athens. That's all we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is produced each week by me, Caleb McCleskey. We're edited by T.J. Baidia, Aaron Payne, and David Forrester. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Enjoy our show? Tell a friend to give us a listen. They can subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud or Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts, or find us online at woub.org. They can also follow us on Twitter at Outlet underscore W-O-U-B and Instagram at Newswatch underscore W-O-U-B. We'll be back next week with more stories from Southeast Ohio.